Hey, everybody. This is Mike Lynn, and I'm with my co-host, Nick Raboy. And this episode, we're going to talk with Chris Edgington of ZincAPI.com. Zinc is a really cool platform that allows you to automate the purchase process. So imagine you're maintaining inventory, and you don't want to have to go through the UI, the web UI for Amazon, Walmart, or Best Buy, but you still want to get your ordering done efficiently. That's what Zinc lets you do. Chris has got an amazing story about how he migrated to MongoDB Atlas, and he's managed to save the company about $8,000 a month. He's taken it from a $10,000 infrastructure spend per month down to $2,000. So pretty amazing story and really great use of the technology. I hope you enjoyed the episode. The only constant in software is change. Software development, data, and all things MongoDB. Welcome to the MongoDB podcast with your hosts, Michael Lynn and Nick Raboy. Hey, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're, we're happy to hear uh, what you have to say about Zinc. Uh, but before we get into the core material, I want to take a chance for you to introduce yourself, to tell the listeners um, a little bit about what you do, either for personal or for work. Sure. So thank you, Nick uh, and uh, Michael, for inviting me. Um, calling in today from Bunker Hill, Indiana, uh, in a little town uh, with no stoplights. I get my internet wirelessly from a water tower a couple miles from my house, um, literally in the middle of uh, nowhere. And uh, so it's good, uh, it's 60 degrees here today, it's warming up. Um, I, uh, I'm a software developer, worked for Zinc uh, for about a year. Um, I do a lot of back-end stuff, uh, front-end stuff. I'm on the core team here at Zinc. Uh, been writing software remotely uh, for 28 years. I started telecommuting before the internet. Um, and uh, um, it's, uh, um, it's good to be with you guys today. Awesome. So what kind of tooling are you using uh, for a lot of your development? Either, either anything that you do on the side or even for Zinc? And we, we'll slowly uh, dive into it. Um, so, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, most of what I've been doing lately has been either um, uh, uh, TypeScript or Python. Almost everything that we do at Zinc is, uh, uh, runs on, on those two platforms. Um, and then we host all of our stuff on multiple cloud providers. We've got... Uh, we probably have 5,000 uh, systems out there in the cloud, um, AWS, GCP, um, GWIS. I think we use seven different cloud providers. So we have systems. We've got redundancy built uh, so that uh, things can keep running. Awesome. And this kind of leads us into our, our main subject, uh, which is Zinc, which is uh, actively using MongoDB. But maybe do you want to tell us a little bit about what Zinc is? What, sure. what did they set out to accomplish? Sure. So uh, the guys started this, a uh, bunch of super smart guys from uh, MIT who had a uh, uh, long time ago figured out how to automate uh, selling of items on eBay. And uh, their friends liked what they were doing. Other people liked what they were doing. And so it was more just some scripting that they ended up turning into a, uh, a, a, a product that, that thousands of people uh, use and some very large corporations use. Um, 
And the core product is an API which automates purchasing on various retail platforms like Amazon.com, Walmart.com, Costco.com, AliExpress.com. Uh, just about any large uh, customer-facing web-based retail platform, we provide a mechanism where you can purchase items on that platform or even search for things on that platform without having to be the person sitting there on the website interacting with the site. So how, how does it work? Does it, um, you know, when I, when I first heard about Zinc and we, we were talking about it, I was imagining in my head that, you know, all of these online retailers have APIs and, and perhaps they're exposing these methods to execute purchases. But then I thought to myself, wow, so that there's going to have to be so many different uh, interfaces, so many different uh, languages that you're going to have to use to interface with these various APIs. But that's not how it works. Tell tell us how it actually actually automates the process of purchasing. Yeah, so it, it turns out that most of these uh, large retailers do not provide APIs for purchasing. Um, they, for the most part, they want the individual to go to their website and search and find, and and so they 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 do not provide an API. Therefore, the the way our software works is it um, through a combination of uh, learning and human observation and debugging, um, we write software that makes it look like a person is interacting with the website, take the JSON that you send us and automate the purchase by, by simulating a click around and add to cart and enter shipping address and payment information, just like a real person. Wow. Okay, so I way back in the day, I did some performance engineering, and in order to drive that type of, of interaction with a web interface, with a web application, I used something called Selenium. Mm -hmm. is, it, is it similar to some, the way Selenium works? Yeah, we use very similar technology, a uh, lot of stuff uh, that was based on some of the original uh, Selenium uh, tooling and open source uh, code that's now been customized for, for the different, the specific jobs that we do. Great. And you mentioned JSON in there in passing. That sounds like a perfect lead in to, uh, to using MongoDB because as you know, we're, we're a JSON, BSON uh, document store. So mm -hmm. I imagine the, the, uh, the choice to use MongoDB was probably pretty natural. Uh, yeah. Uh, I wasn't here at Zinc when they made the decision to use MongoDB, but I agree the the structure of an order, um, it's a, uh, the JSON that comes in for an order is, uh, can be a very deep structured JSON, especially if you're ordering multiple products. And, and we allow incredible uh, level of detail in the order specification. For example, part of our API lets you search Amazon and find out what different offers are available for a specific product and find out the exact seller ID for a specific offer. And so if you then want to drive the purchase of an item for that product, for that specific seller ID, that's about a four level deep JSON. And so the, the, the document that comes in from our customers is a pretty complicated JSON document. And, and you're right, it does fit perfectly for being able to just take that document um, and, uh, and save it to a, a MongoDB collection. 
So I got to ask this. Now, we're, what we've done basically is created a system where as a purchaser, I now have to use JSON as my interface rather than uh, a slick web interface. Um, the the benefits associated with that must be pretty steep if if that's if I now have to to navigate Amazon using JSON or <laughs> or do I have it wrong? Are, are there other interfaces that you offer rather than just a, a JSON editor? Uh, no, JSON is that our API. That is uh, that is how you interface with it and. And for the individual, there's there's really not a lot of benefit there um, from just the raw API. Um, but uh, for someone who, uh, example, is is uh, has their own online store or has a store on eBay or other platforms, Shopify, other uh, obviously there's tons of different retail platforms. Uh, this enables you to. Uh, build a, a, a set of tools that will enable your platform to purchase and deliver, purchase and stock um, uh, without a person having to be involved in that process. Uh, that's one of the huge benefits. The, the, other, the other side of it is the whole idea of being able to find the best price at the right time. And so when you combine our ordering API with our search capabilities, uh, you can, in, in, on a regular basis, almost on a real-time basis, we actually provide a real-time version of our API, be searching for products and purchase them the moment you see the price hit a certain point. So I, I want to dig a little deeper because this is something that I think a lot of the listeners are going to try to visualize in their minds, uh, being an audio-only podcast. Uh, so... Say that I have my own storefront or I'm an organization trying to set up maybe um, uh, an expensible page of, of products for IT. I, I don't know the scenario. Are they including, say, uh, a UPC code and uh, to this JSON and then your search algorithms are now searching all of these various stores for the same UPC and getting the best price? Uh, maybe dig a little deeper into that on, on sure. what the user goes through. Sure. Great question. Great, great question, Nick. Uh, so we don't uh, do that level of automation at the ordering level. We expect that your system will have done that kind of searching and, and maybe used our search APIs to do that. Um, but the ordering API is, is simply a you specify a product ID in the format of the retailer that you are placing an order on. So uh, Amazon has uh, Amazon product IDs. Uh, Walmart has their own product IDs. Now we actually have a, a separate tool. I don't think we sell it right now. We've talked about it, but we, we have a UPC to retailer mapping tool that allows us to do exactly what you described, but it's not integrated into, into our ordering platform. But the, the, the scenario you describe, let's say you do have a store or let's say you've got a game and when somebody gets to a certain point, you want to be able to give them the chance to choose a prize and it shows up at their door a week later. Those are the kinds of platforms that use our API. So the, the, the user has already got an account on your platform. You know their mailing address, their shipping address. Uh, they choose, ooh, I want the Magic 8 Ball as my prize. Then they click a button. Your system 
then says, oh, okay, so I need to order the magic eight ball from Amazon. I need to ship it to this address. You provide us with your Amazon account information, uh, your payment information, which could be a credit card, or uh, we support uh, allowing the Amazon account to already have uh, credit balance. So we don't even need you to send us credit card information. Um, that's the most secure kind of purchase. You send us that JSON with the shipping address, the payment information, the product ID. Um, you tell us how to decide the shipping uh, timeline, whether it's the cheapest or the fastest, and we we place the order. So I guess I want to dig deeper into your stack now because you mentioned a lot of things that, that sound like you may be using a variety of our Mongo products already, but I just, I, I want to drill in deeper. So what... What's the scope of what you're using with MongoDB for your product? Sure. So that whole the whole Zinc API, our search and our auto ordering, it all of its data is uh, stored on MongoDB. Uh, we use Atlas, um, and um, uh, the honestly, our current structure of MongoDB was designed by guys that are more uh, relational database guys, and so. I think our current design has almost 40 tables, uh, unfortunately. Um, and so uh, all of the ordering process, whether it's a, because ordering is so much more than just placing an order. You also have to, you have to track uh, when an order gets canceled or when an order gets returned, uh, when a payment method gets denied. And so we have lots of different tables for doing all of, uh, for storing all of the responses from those kinds of uh, transactions. But, mm. but all of this data is stored in MongoDB. Uh, and then we have, a, we have a couple different tools that we use to generate reports. We use Atlas Charts um, and multiple uh, aggregation pipelines that I built uh, to show us um, successful order uh, versus error order uh, progression throughout the day. Um, uh, one of the interesting challenges of this kind of system is that we are very dependent on retailers not changing the way you interface with their platforms. And so, and, and they don't tell us, Amazon doesn't call us and say, hey, we're going to upgrade the website today. We find out because all of a sudden orders start failing. And uh, MongoDB charts is the way that I find that out as quick, uh, very quickly. I've got a chart that runs, sits on my desktop and it's updated every minute. And uh, so I can tell uh, quickly that, that within the last 10 minutes, I've had 50 orders fail. Because at any one time, we have almost two to 300 orders uh, running on a separate virtual machine out in the cloud all at the same time. And so if, if, if Amazon all of a sudden introduces an upgrade to their website, two, 300 orders fail like that. Mm. And I would imagine that's a common scenario. I mean, these these guys are changing their websites, yes. and especially if you support many many vendors. So, yes. so this has got to be a common scenario. What happens when an order fails? So you've got, I guess, you it's stored, and you, I guess, put it on hold until you're able to modify the the uh, the automation tool to to update to meet the changes. Yeah. So uh, the uh, the customer, uh, the, the, the moment they place the order with our API, they get an order ID and they can call in back to the API to check the status of that order. 
They can also, when they submit the order, they can give us a URL for a webhook. And the webhook, we, we actually have four different webhooks. You can send us a status webhook, um, uh, a tracking webhook, and, and basically when the status of an order changes in our system, we will call your webhook and let you know, hey, the order succeeded, the order failed. And all of that is driven by uh, a MongoDB collection um, that tracks, that, that, that has all of these pending webhooks. And when an, order, uh, when an order gets to a certain state, we pull that document out and we uh, submit the webhook. And so uh, the, the goal is automation through the entire order process. So are you leveraging automation in the database in the sense of, of using triggers? Um, if you are, no, no, we don't have any triggers, uh, in the database. We don't use stitch or anything like that. We've actually started playing with it, uh, for some dat from it, for some internal dashboards. And we have a ton of scripts that we run manually as our support folks find out about issues. And, uh, um, it, like you said, uh, all of these retailers are changing all of the time daily. And so we are. Yeah. It's a regular thing to say, oh, the checkout flow on how you enter a uh, shipping address changed on Costco today. And so 30 minutes of, of reverse engineering in, in a Chrome session with Costco on, the, on, on your screen, you fix that code, uh, push an update. Um, sometimes that requires running a script that interfaces with MongoDB auto uh, forces some some orders to be retried. Uh, we're in the process of trying to push a lot of that logic to stitch uh, functions so that we can make it a lot easier to build and add those to an internal dashboard. Awesome. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Nick. No, I was going to say, so you're, look, you've, uh, you're going to look into stitch functions. Uh, well, what about like triggers? So like if something... Um, in your actual data changes, like um, you, I believe you mentioned that uh, you you move the the documents through different workflows, right? As as it progresses, yeah. uh, maybe you f you flip a, a boolean inside of your document, and it uh, I don't know shoots off an email or uh, anything like that. Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. Honestly, I have I, I'm a relative newcomer to MongoDB. Oh no worries. And, uh, and so I've not used triggers, and, and it's just not a feature that the guys uh, that, uh, that built this um, used. And maybe it's a new feature, honestly. They started with, uh, with MongoDB uh, 2 dot something, um, or maybe 3 dot something, I don't remember. But um, again, these were SQL guys that uh, decided to use MongoDB for some reason. I think it was a good choice. <laughs> and when this first launched, you were, you were using another online... Uh, database as a service, and uh, I, I think there was some issues around the versioning. Right? Is that? Can you talk a little bit about your your migration to Atlas? How did you yeah. get to Atlas today? Yeah, that that was one of the first challenges uh, that I faced coming to Zinc. I've uh, been here just a little bit over a year, uh, and prior to that, had not had had tinkered with MongoDB uh, just just as a wow, I should learn this kind of thing but hadn't used it in, in work or any kind of uh, production experience. Uh, but when I came to Zinc, that was one of the first things they said to me was, yeah, we have this problem and that our MongoDB uh, cluster has, has largely not been a problem. 
the downside of that is we've given it no attention and now it's out mm. of date. <laughs> so it, it, it's a kind of a double edged sword there that MongoDB was so uh, reliable for them. They, they didn't have to maintain it. And unfortunately, um, it, the cost associated with continuing to run an old version of MongoDB just uh, went up exponentially. Uh, and, and when I came on board, these guys were paying over 10K a month uh, for running four different clusters. Holy cow. So um, you were running at 10, 10K a month in your previous world. I'm going to assume that Atlas came in cheaper. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they said, we got to do something to get off this MongoDB uh, price gouging uh, situation. And and really the, the platform they were on, um, the, the price increase was just associated with the fact that the, that platform was trying to migrate away from the old version as well. And and they were forcing customers to do that by increasing price. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, they had tried a ton of different tools. A lot of smart guys, two different guys on the team had, had tried to migrate. Um, but the open source tools they tried failed. Uh, the Atlas tool would not work. The live migration tool wouldn't work because the MongoDB version was so old, 3.0.11. And... Uh, it was kind of one of these things that, again, it was still working. And so since the easy path failed for everybody, they're like, okay, we'll deal with that someday. Um, and uh, I, I tend to be a guy that when somebody when when the, somebody says a problem is not solvable, I, I like to see if we can solve it. And uh, Right on. And so I dove into MongoDB, uh, learned the API, um, and wrote a new tool. Um, that would migrate from any old version of MongoDB to the latest and used it to live migrate uh, to 300 gigabyte uh, databases from this old platform to Atlas. And now I think we're paying 2K a month to Atlas. Wow. That's a great story. I love that. So from 10K to 2K, 10K on on a different provider to 2K in MongoDB Atlas. Yes. What a a phenomenal story. (laughs) That's per month. Wow, that's great. That's and and how large is your your implementation in in Atlas? What's the what's the data look like in terms of you know data size? Um, so we have uh, we I took a risk and and actually now I regret it uh, and we're going to be making another change. So we moved these two different clusters onto one Atlas cluster. So we have two three hundred gigabyte databases running on one M five cluster. And uh, it is maxed out. Um, mm. Now, the great thing is it's still working. It, it, it doesn't fail. It's, uh, it, uh, it's, it's very robust. Uh, but we've ran into some issues where um, I've got a lot of alerts set up on our Atlas uh, uh, project. And so I'll get alerts regularly about the oplog being less than an hour behind and uh, um, multiple uh, performance indicators being above 90%. And so um, one of our our older clusters that's now merged with our API cluster, uh, it's just a heavily used database and uh, we're going to migrate it to another Atlas cluster here in the next few weeks. So are you making use of any of the auto scaling functionality that, that Atlas offers? We are currently not. When when I set up that uh, 
when I set up that cluster, I think that was a beta option. Um, and I vaguely remember saying it, uh, but it was all new to me. And so I, I decided that choosing a beta option while I was learning was not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's acceptable. Uh, so how does how does scaling typically work for you? I mean, you've got, you said two two large clusters now, am I correct? Or Yeah, it's actually, we have two, cl- two large clusters that are now running on one Atlas cluster. And, yeah. and it's got, uh, uh, I think it's 32 gigabytes of RAM. Yeah. And it is, it is maxed all the time. If you, if you go into the real time metrics daily, it's RAM is maxed. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the, the traffic to that, uh, to that cluster is very predictable. Um, because one of the, uh, the, the new cluster that we integrated into it is a, yeah. is a, is a very user facing driven cluster. And so about 8 AM to 11 AM, People wake up, start using the website. Uh, it's for another product we have called Joe Lister. And for the three hours from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m., it is slammed. And so we can tell that uh, some of our requests, even from the API, just take a little bit longer. And if you if you watch the retail, the real-time metrics, you can just see that um, it's, it's running at peak. Let Mike so, take this. Yep, sure. So <clears throat> tell us about um, your work with the MongoDB for Startups program. Um, I, I think you, you were, uh, the Zinc was already a part of that when you came on board, or, or were you a part of bringing Zinc to the Startups program? Yeah, actually, uh, we were not. Uh, Zinc, mm-hmm. the guys that, that I work with are super smart, like uh, genius level cloud Linux guys. So they tend to be the kind of guys that, They'll just set up their own cluster and we'll figure out how to run MongoDB. Um, me, I, I, I'm a problem solving kind of guy, but this just seemed too big to learn too many things all at the same time. And so Atlas uh, was, was very intriguing to me because it looked like if I could get the data moved, um, I would still have the just the backing of your support staff and the reliability that would come from having a hosted platform. And uh, uh, um, the, the challenge was I didn't know if the tool would work. And, and so uh, I signed up as a trial, uh, tried it with one of our smaller databases and I forget the guy's name. The problem is I'm old and I forget names, but one of your salesmen, uh, he, he, he's uh, shoot. I met him at the uh, San Francisco conference. Now I forget his name. Doesn't matter. Uh, it's all good. He, he he responded and he said, "Hey, would like to reach out to you, see what your use case is," and uh, basically told him that I need to prove to my uh, boss that Atlas is the platform to use instead of just hosting our own GCP-based MongoDB. He said, "What can I do to help?" And I said, "Honestly, the best thing is if you can figure out a way that I can." prove it in the first month without having to spend a lot of money, I'm pretty sure they'll buy in. And so he said, well, the best way to do that would be to get you uh, signed up with our uh, startup accelerator platform. And I think it was two days, filled out the application, uh, talked to him, and we were approved. He put the credits on our account. Um, I upgraded from one of the free clusters to an M4. And uh, 
two weeks later, we were running uh, in production on Atlas. That's phenomenal. That's great. And and um, yeah, so you, I think you've actually been in the program for more than a year. Are you participating in any other startup programs or accelerators, anything like that? Not that I know of. Actually, we've been in at we we joined uh, the startup accelerator in October last year, so okay. so it's just a little bit over six months, I think. Okay, gotcha. Yep. And um, so, what other benefits of the startup program have you enjoyed? What what else has uh, has been valuable to you? Uh, initially, because I was learning uh, MongoDB and the intricacies of not just the API, but how the servers, the server works, op logs and all that stuff. Uh, two things. One, I used support extensively. Um, and the support guys uh, were super responsive, sent me charts, all kinds of great responses to the, the problems I was running into. And then when we started, uh, the uh, accelerator support channel was on Slack. And uh, uh, there were a couple different guys that answered a ton of my questions on Slack. Um, and so literally uh, for me, every obstacle I ran into within a half a day to a day, I had the answer either from wow. Atlas support or through the Slack channel. Oh, that's great. That's terrific. So uh, there are a lot of startups that listen to this podcast. And I'm just wondering if you have any advice for them uh, maybe some roadblocks that you hit or some recommendations, maybe even other products that you use that, that they might find helpful. Any advice for, for other startups in similar spots? Um, sure. You know, definitely my experience is that people don't reach out to existing support channels quickly enough because they've been, they, they've been burnt. They've, they've wasted the time to, you know, it takes time to formulate a good question to a support channel. Um, and, and what I would say is that now the online MongoDB forums, uh, and the Atlas support channel, both of those are, are excellent. And so, so don't spend too much time looking on Stack Overflow or Googling and struggling to find answers. What I found is that there's not the, the level of, the, the breadth or depth of answers on Stack Overflow related to MongoDB, as you'll find with TypeScript and more language-centric questions, the platform itself doesn't have as much uh, uh, Q&A on, on that kind of a platform. And so quickly go to the existing support channels. That, that, that was the answer for me. Also, read the docs. The, the docs, we use Node.js as our primary uh, back end uh, for API and the uh, the Node.js uh, MongoDB driver documentation is excellent. Uh, the examples work. Uh, a lot of the code I wrote, I took the example and then uh, made it do what I needed it to do. So read the docs. <laughs> I just want to put out a plug real quick. Um, so the forums that Chris is talking about is community.mongodb.com. Um, and that's our official forums that recently uh, went up. Um, and it's been a great resource for a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah, we had um, quite a quite a following on the Slack channels. And there were some, some developers that weren't too happy about moving over initially from Slack to, uh, to a forum space. But I think the results have just spoken for themselves. It's been, um, it's been a great journey. A lot of folks are really 
um, adding value. For a lot of a lot of community members have been really activated. So uh, great advice. Yeah, so, and, I, and I would uh, say to other guys as well. You know, one thing that I've that that has been uh, helpful to me, and and I've been trying to do as well is is as you learn things, pay attention to the guys that are asking those same questions and 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 try to be a participant in the community as well because obviously you know a ton of us rely on stack overflow um well well that exists because people have taken the time to provide back and uh especially on mongodb because the level of information out there for some of these problems is is not as easy to find the more we those of us that have solved these problems put back into the community, then it's just going to help drive the platform and help people get a better experience. Well, Chris, this, this episode has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to share with the listeners? Anything that you feel like we've missed or anything that you want to plug um, on this particular episode? Um, no, not that I can think of. I mean, in general, I would say as a developer, whether you're learning MongoDB or some other platform, don't give up. Um, you know, some of the hardest problems are the ones that you'll get the, the, uh, the best results from if you, if you follow through and solve them. When I, uh, when I got that migration working and everybody's like, whoa, well, that's cool. You just saved <laughs> us 10K a month. I, I ended up going back to Zinc and said, well, I should get a raise. And they said, sure. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's, and, that's terrific. It's just and, such a phenomenal story. <laughs> and so, so, uh, so I'd encourage you to do the same thing. Listen to the problems that people in your organization say nobody else could solve and, and dive into those and see if you can solve them. Uh, the, the other thing I would say is uh, check out our other products. Not only do we have this API, we, because of our, our fingers that are integrated into the retail processes on, online. We have some other products that, that are growing and, and expect to continue to grow. One of them is called Zinc Enforcer. Uh, lots of large brands want to uh, maintain uh, pricing. It's called uh, uh, MAP, Minimum Advertised Price. You'll see that a lot of times where where a large retailer will be selling, uh, have discounts on items, but they'll say these retail brands are excluded from the discounts. That's because retailers like Apple, Samsung, LG, they want to have price consistency across retail channels. The, uh, the problem is there are lots of uh, retail uh, retailers that try to get around minimum advertised pricing. And so we have a product and a set of tooling that helps you uh, enforce MAP. Um, and so you could check that out, zincenforcer.com. Um, uh, and uh, if you go to zinc.com, you can see our other products. We've got Price Yak for automating interfacing through uh, eBay and other retailers. Um, Joe Lister is another product we have. Um, so if you're doing anything online with retail, and you want to automate uh, purchasing and delivery of items, uh, check out our website. Outstanding. And can we find you on social media anywhere? <clears throat> oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I Twitter, I hardly ever have to do this. Twitter, I'm at Edgington C, E-D-G-I-N-G-T-O-N-C. Um, and my GitHub, actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to say that by the time this uh, 
uh, podcast releases, I'll, I'll be ready to open source that tool that I wrote called Plongo uh, for migrating from super old versions of MongoDB clusters to Atlas. Um, and I'm on GitHub as Chris Edgington. So you can find me there. Fantastic. Well, Chris, thanks so much for spending time with us. We really enjoyed the conversation. I wish you all the best with uh, with Zinc and with Klongo. And hey, I look forward to checking in with you in maybe a couple of months and see how things are going. Uh, that'd be awesome, guys. Uh, thank you. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And thanks to Chris Edgington for joining us today. If you want to learn more about Zinc, you can find more information on their website at zincapi.com or zinc.io. If you'd like to learn more about the MongoDB community, visit us at community.mongodb.com. And you can find us all over social media at MongoDB. Make sure you head on over to your favorite podcast network and give us a thumbs up, give us a like, leave a positive review to let others know what you liked about it. 